hidden identities and gender wars. Race and belonging, Shakespeare's Othello holds out a startling mirror to the turbulent times we live in now. Pinned against a backdrop of rising populism, xenophobia and deepening tensions, we explore how a 400-year-old play casts a spotlight on contemporary Britain. Hello, I'm Ramona Ali, and welcome to The Othello Project, a podcast series which accompanies English touring theatre's groundbreaking production of Shakespeare's Othello. In this second episode, our special reporter, Aina J. Khan, goes to Oldham, a city long associated, perhaps unfairly, with economic deprivation and social tensions, to ask the city's young, Muslim, black and minority communities how deep is their sense of belonging? Do they struggle with it? Is being attached to a place more a question of race, religion or economics? We also hear from veteran activist and community organiser Hamera Khan, who reflects on what it really means to belong. Welcome to episode two, Belonging. But first of all, let's hear from our reporter, Aina J. Khan. manipulates Rodrigo into killing Cassio. The attempt goes wrong and Cassio wounds Rodrigo. Diego stabs Cassio in the leg and then kills Rodrigo. Ooh. Okay. So I'm joined by Tanya, who has led today's creative session in Oldham. Tanya, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what you've been doing today? So my name is Tanya Manera-Williams. I'm a cultural producer, I'm a poet, and I'm the artist-in-residence with English Twin Theatre on the production of Othello. Um, and I'm here doing a workshop and it's like a coffee morning, basically, with, like, Muslim women. And even just having a coffee morning, how many theatres, like, in London have coffee mornings or have sessions like this or have so much diversity within the theatre? So that's what we're doing here, a workshop. But, yeah, so first of all, I would like to begin with the question of isolation. Othello, the play, looks at this main character who is a sole black man in a society uh, in Venice which was predominantly Christian, he is potentially a closeted Muslim. And I wonder, in your own experiences growing up, have there been moments where you have felt isolated for reasons because of your race, your class, your gender? Uh, my name is Abby. Uh, I'm one of the members that joins the Coffee Morning in the Oldham Coliseum every Thursday. I was born and bred in Oldham. My parents were from Pakistan. Um, I'm a Muslim, but I'm a British Muslim. When I was growing up, I found isolation quite common because there was a lot of uh, culture clash between myself and my fellow students that I was going to school with. My parents didn't speak English as a first language. Hi, my name is Atiyah. I've been living in Oldham for the past 18 years, but I've uh, originally come from Glasgow. And I did feel isolated during childhood because um, once I had um, henna on my hands and I went back to school and no one knew what it really was and they would call it, what's this orange stuff on your hand? And I was quite, I felt, because I had to explain what it was and I felt sort of pressurised and then I didn't want to put it on again. Abby, would you say that in the last 30 years since your parents came from Pakistan, do you feel it's different for you? Do you feel like you're more kind of more part of this society than perhaps your parents' generation did when they first arrived here? Definitely. I think there's a massive difference in today's society. I think, I think diversity is much more common and I feel that, we, that, that where there was the second-class citizens, I think that that's quite 
in, in, in the old age. I think we have come a long way. I think a lot of cultures are understood. I think we've, we've tried to make a voice for ourselves. I think uh, being in Oldham is predominantly Asian, and I think because of that fact that a lot of people know the culture, they, know, they have an understanding, and it makes you feel more comfortable going to places like the theatre, going to the cinema, going to the town centre, because you have that much diversity and understanding of cultures than you had back when my parents came to England. You talked about the progress that's happened, but just to play devil's advocate, someone might turn around and say, well, there were race riots here in 2001. Really? Have, have things really changed that much? That's a very good question, actually, because there, there is a problem there. There's, there's segregation. Schools are predominantly Asian or white now since the riots. It's much more comfortable than it was back in the days, but that is definitely a factor that is still around today. The riots have affected Oldham. And I think they will affect them for, for a long time to come because people have moved out of areas and left them predominantly Asian or predominantly white because of that. Atia, you've actually watched this production and I wonder what you make of the themes that are explored in Othello in terms of belonging and identity and how perhaps they might resonate with you. Yeah, I think it does because um, in this play there's two types of racism going on. One racism is like the outright racism that um, Desdemona's father shows to Othello by calling him a moor, and he is a moor and alone in Venice. And then the second racism is Ayego's racism, which is like an underlying current, and I think that's, that's the, sort of the undercurrent at the moment, and that brings it forward to these times, and it especially affects the Muslims because then because of the way Muslims dress, because we have to cover our head, we can be targeted very easily. So in one of the free writing sessions that Munira held earlier, there was some really great discussions going on about miscommunication, particularly between Othello and Desdemona. The fact that if they'd just spoken to one another, if Othello had just asked Desdemona, are you having an affair, that would have resolved things pretty quickly. And I wonder like, what, what your perspective is on the fact that perhaps miscommunication is happening between the communities living here as well. Communication can be in all forms. I think media have a very big responsibility in communicating to the, to the general public. And I think if the media portrayed Muslims in a, in a better light or, you know, it's, they always write about the negative things that Muslims do and they always put the title of a Muslim before they put the actual crime. Yeah, but I think I can add on to that because I think, like, um, the group that we meet up in the Coliseum, I would never go to a theatre either and because of this coffee morning and meeting up with other people and socialising and I think that brings communication out and I think that's helped a lot and it's helped me come to the theatre and enjoy the productions and think about things that I may not have thought about in the last 10 years. So Manira, you've been around the country delivering workshops in local theatres. Tell me, what is it that you've kind of um, gleaned from all of these little workshops? I think one of the things that I've learned is that no matter where it is in the country, people are feeling the same, you know? It may have slight nuances, leaning towards wherever they are, um, depending on the sort of, like, culture of the city or what have you. Um, what was really interesting for me is when I went to Doncaster and I worked with people who are what we would call newly arrived people, you know, people who haven't gotten a refugee status yet. And speaking with them again, the feeling of belonging, the feeling of isolation. When you say belonging, could you just break that down a bit more? I think this idea of Britishness is really interesting because 
there isn't really a definition of what it means to be British. Although this is a subject or this is a question, what does it mean that you're, um, to be British or prove your Britishness? No one actually really has an answer for that. And as a result of that, I feel like this question, it makes a lot of people feel like they don't belong. Because if you don't have this definition of what it means to be British, you can start to feel like something has been eroded, you know, and I think this is, a lot, this is what's happening a lot. And then people who don't fit that sort of standard, they don't feel like they belong. So um, one part in the production, and it made me think about belonging, was when Othello, when they just arrived in Cyprus, and Othello and Montano, when they embraced each other and they met. And there was something about their embrace, there was something about the look in their eyes, and even just the way how they generally communicated, that expressed this sense of, I see you. It's like the nod, isn't it? Yeah. That, that uh, people of colour exchange with yeah. one another where it's like, in your own words, I see you. I see you in a sea of people where, you know, you stand out and I've got you. I got, mm. I've got you. You're not alone. It was, it was so beautiful because I see that in myself. You know, as you said, like, sometimes I go to, like, mainland Europe and I don't know. I like racism in England. And the reason why I like racism in England is because I understand it, you yeah. know. Yeah. When you go to a different country and you experience or just the othering, whether it's because I'm a woman and, and I'm walking the streets at a time where women in that area don't walk the streets, or whether it's because, you know, I'm black or because I'm Muslim, whatever it may be, whatever that thing is that others me, I get it in England. I know what it is. I know how to label it. And I can look in the person's face and I'm like, am I in danger? But when I'm somewhere else, I don't know how to label that. So then seeing someone who reflects me in some way it's a feeling of safety and I like that. I like that and I felt that that moment really sort of like exemplified that. That was Tanya Manira williams speaking with Aina J. Khan. One of the most remarkable aspects of this production of Othello is the changing of attitudes towards Othello throughout the play. After Othello has professed his love for Desdemona, the relationship between Desdemona's father, Brabantio, and Othello changes dramatically. I spoke to director Richard Twyman about the fragility of Othello's own sense of belonging in Venetian society. Yeah, I mean, it's something you see all over the world, isn't it? But it also feels particularly British, doesn't it? That idea of, we'll sort of, we'll welcome you with one hand and when it's useful for us, we'll hear your stories and we'll, and yeah, invite you to dinner and you can entertain our guests. But the moment we feel you've gone too far, you've stepped over a line which we feel is threatening to us in whatever way, we will come down on you and we will try everything we can to destroy you. I mean you've seen it with the Windrush it's happened so many times in British history and it's a legacy I think of of a colonial past that and I think that's one of the things why the play is so is so urgent again something we just never dealt with as a culture so yeah I mean it, it, it must be heartbreaking for Othello and Desdemona they've obviously taken this calculated risk if we get married in secret maybe it will be accepted and of course the opposite happens I asked Victor Oshin, who plays Othello, whether Othello's identity and sense of belonging mirrored any of his own life experiences. So, like, growing up, I definitely feel uh, I have definitely covered myself in certain moments, having the, the, the life of, of, of my dad, who's a pastor, of, of the life of being in, within the streets, being in school, knowing that I wanted to do well, being the athlete. So all of these different worlds 
always seem to be separate and never collide, where you feel like you had to wear this hat and wear this hat and then wear that hat and then wear that hat. I definitely felt like I had to really <laughs> um, assimilate and, and show what people wanted to see, um, which was finding myself, and that took, I think, a few years of really looking at what I wanted, looking at my faith and my, my beliefs to really accept myself. So yeah, it definitely, it, it's difficult being, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you understand like when you and your um, family are from a different country and feeling like that's, that's the Nigerian culture and then the British culture and try, it's, it's so, it's, it's difficult to... to, to um, it's, it's a lot to navigate. Definitely a lot to navigate and finding that path was interesting and I'm still finding it now, now today. So, so I definitely bring a lot of that finding things um, to, to the role, I think, yeah. Here's Tanya Manira williams again. So belonging is something that is a part of my art, is a part of my creativity, is a part of my work, is a part of my everyday. I can't separate myself from this theme of belonging. I would even go as far as to say that it is, it is a theme, a running theme within my life. Um, in regards to how do I deal with it, I think communication is really the key. Communication and trying to create platforms for people where they're able to share, where they're able to exchange, and where they're able to have conversations. That's what I'm dedicated to. So whether it be through writing, whether it be through workshops, whether it be through poetry or music, my whole aim is to get this communication going because it is something, belonging is something that we could allow or lack of belonging or feeling like you don't belong is something that we can allow to define us. But actually, wouldn't it be better to explore it more and to have conversations about this so that we can really explore how do we belong? Well, I'm now sat with Aina and she has given such an incredibly interesting report uh, with those women who you sat with. And I, I'm really interested, Aina, actually to hear about your experience growing up and your sense of belonging. You know, can you just take us back to oh. little Aina, to young Aina <laughs> and, and what was her perception of the world? I, I'm not just going to take you back. I'm going to take you back and forth. So I, I was born and raised in, in West London, in Shepherd's Bush, where I spent probably about eight years of my life. Um, I was probably the only Pakistani girl in my in my primary school, at Wendell Park at the time. But, you know, it was actually still quite, quite diverse. There were, um, you know, kids from all sorts of backgrounds. Then uh, I moved to Fulham. So I went to southwest London, spent a good seven years there and had the most incredible. I think those were really kind of seminal years for me growing up in Fulham because I really, I, I guess I just had a really great time at school whether it was primary and going on to secondary um I remember probably up until the age of 11 I would say that relatively I didn't really kind of feel out of place there were odd occasions on non-uniform uh, day or world food day where I take bakoras into school or I'd wear shalwakamis where I did feel out of place but probably and um, it wasn't up until when 9-11 happened that I really and truly felt my my brownness um but that was the moment when then my my kind of identity being not just British but also being Pakistani, when, that's when it really kind of came to the fore and made me think, oh, okay, I didn't camouflage as well as I thought I did. Yeah, it was it was a real uh, intense time. It was like you suddenly thought about yourself during nine eleven. It was it was a frightening time actually. I was really frightened to go out onto the streets, just going to work. And I used to run from my car to the office because I was just worried that I'd get attacked. But actually, it was really interesting to hear what you're saying about you didn't really have that sense until you were 11 about being different. 
because I my experience was quite different. I grew up in a, a white village. I was we were the only Muslims in the village, and my sense of otherness started from a really young age, from the age of around probably four or five. Even I remember in the nursery, like kids kind of pushing me away from them. You know, when I was five years old, I remember this other young kid just call me the p word, like you know, you know, hurry up, you packy, and I was like. I'm not a Paki, I'm I'm Indian. Because <laughs> my parents came from India. But I knew from then, I was like, okay, I am different. I look different from to everybody else. How am I ever going to fit in? How am I going to belong? And that's kind of been part of my entire existence, really. You know, the sense of who am I? What's my identity? You know, how British do I feel? You know, it's actually been part of my work and my writings and my reflections. And also another thing I, I find quite intriguing about identity is that before 9-11, people saw me more as Asian or Indian. And then post 9-11, it shifted to Muslim being the primary identifier exactly. of, of myself. And so before people were calling me like, they were saying, but but ding ding, they were saying Paki, um, they were saying go back home. Afterwards, it was terrorist. We were questioned about loyalty, about belonging and identity. And you start to introspect and you start to research your own faith and your own sense of who you are. Exactly. I mean, these are timeless, timeless discussions that keep happening time and time again. And, you know, I don't think I'm optimistic that it's going to subside anytime soon. I think we're going to keep dissecting what it means to belong. Who are you? Are you with us or are you against us? That is a discussion that I don't think will ever die down, clearly, because four centuries on, we're talking about exactly the same thing. What I find really interesting about Shakespeare is that he calls his play Othello the Moor of Venice. And it's just bringing those two worlds together in that title so, so cleverly, so astutely. Um, I found it interesting what Tanya Manira Williams said about uh, Britishness. Mm, you know, yeah. do, can you define Britishness? And I pose the same question back to you. Do you know what? I if if you ask me what is the definition of Britishness, I couldn't tell you what it is because I'm going to give you one answer and then you go and answer, you go and ask another person, they're going to give you a completely different answer. There might be some overlaps, but, and I think actually it's really important that we don't define Britishness as this one thing because that's where the danger for me arises when you, I don't like being on the defensive. I, I'd like to claim these identities for myself, not because somebody's forcing on me and saying, if you don't, um, you know, you're you're basically not, I mean, interesting, I was going to say you're not a patriot, but then would I, am I comfortable with that label patriot? I don't know. It's also something that we, we have risen to. Many Muslim communities have risen to that challenge and actually explored their identity. And, and it's created this beautiful platform of expression. So you have so many different initiatives since 9-11, in fact. You know, you had magazines talking about British Muslim identity. And it was, it was an opportunity to, to find out what we really are, what drives us, what we dream about, what our ambitions are, what we believe. And being Muslim is complex. Being British is complex. So I don't think there is any one answer. That's exactly it, Ramona. Complexity. And this is where discussions around Britishness really irk me. They really, um, they erode on any kind of idea of complexity. And you can't, this is why I feel like you cannot define uh, identity because it's going to change all the time. A, a decade from now for young British Muslims or young British whatever growing up, when you ask them what does it mean to be British, it will change. No boundaries, no limits. In every episode of this podcast, we're going to bring you a short reflection on the themes covered in every episode, each written by an important British Muslim voice. This week we turn to Hamera Khan, a freelance consultant and researcher on Muslim affairs. She is one of the founding members of An-Nisa Society, 
a women's managed organization working for the welfare of Muslim families. I really can't remember when I first realized I was different. Was it the predominantly white primary school I went to, the clothes I wore, the food I ate, or my religious practices? I know that I never felt I was different until someone else brought it to my attention. After all, in my home, we were all normal. But as I got older, I struggled to find anything positive about what I represented outside of my family and community. It is only with hindsight I can say how deeply this void and the aggression that went in its place affected my sense of self. As a result, I decided in my late teens to reject both my faith and culture. The idea of the moor was particularly problematic. My first unconscious absorption of this projected negativity was when studying the Crusades. And of course we sided with the valiant European Crusaders against the dark Saracen Moors. My next encounter with this was when studying English A-level, when we went to watch a production of Othello at the Young Vic. Once again, I experienced a subtle hostility towards the dark and white actor playing the aggressive black Moor, or Muslim as I later found out. Today, we may be more politically correct and reconsidering our understanding of the Moor or heathen Saracen, but have we really progressed that far? Colonial ideas of the other have been replaced by even more hostile images and ideas such as the subjugated Muslim woman, the violent Muslim man and the Islamic threat to liberty and the Western way of life. Young British Muslims of the post 9-11 generation have had every kind of hostility thrown at them, every kind of dismantling of their faith and cultures and every kind of scrutiny by the state. They have been made responsible for the antagonisms of others and have been othered once again in the process. Is it possible to feel as if you belong with such daily experiences? The English Touring Theatre's production of Othello gives us a clue. To finally present Othello within a Muslim paradigm, his relationship to Christian Europe and his struggles of acceptance and rejection in the world he has adopted gives us the creative space to explore both the historical context and the contemporary manifestations of the challenges of integrating Muslim minorities. It took many, many years of trying to fit in for me to realise that this was not really possible and following much personal angst, I eventually began to find peace and connection to the culture and faith of my birth. Sadly, my experiences are not unique and while the headlines may differ for young Muslims growing up in Britain today, they too continue to suffer the pain of exclusion, the trauma of being misrepresented and the fight for finding peace with who they really want to be. Britain has had a checkered political history with the world of Islam, but despite this, it's always loved its intellectual heritage, cultures and artistry, which is as influential today as it's ever been. I'm happy that young Muslims are increasingly drawing on this to give shape to their ever-evolving identities and taking ownership of it to create dialogue and acceptance. You've been listening to The Othello Project, an initiative by English Touring Theatre, which is generously supported by Amal, a programme of the Said Foundation. My thanks to our reporter, Aina Jehan, for bringing us the voices of local pioneers and community workers, and to Hamera Khan for her fascinating reflections, and special thanks to the executive producer and creative advisor of The Othello Project, Abdurrahman Malik. I've been your host, Ramona Ali, Tune in next time to hear episode three, Patriarchy and its Discontents. 
we'll be looking at the theme of masculinity and patriarchy in Othello and asking if there's a similar toxic masculinity at play in Britain today. As always, this and previous episodes of the Othello Project podcast, including our first series, is available at soundcloud.com forward slash English Touring Theatre and available on iTunes. This series is produced by Tom Glasser. <laughs>